Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. First Timothy chapter 4. First Timothy chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. First Timothy chapter 4. We've been just trucking along verse by verse through the book of First Timothy, and uh, we are in the fourth chapter, and we won't quite close it today, but we will next week. Um, so once you're there, stand with me. We're going to read our text this morning. First Timothy chapter 4. We're going to be looking at verses 6 through 11, but really 6 through 16 kind of all go together, but we're going to break this up into two sermons. So beginning in verse 6, we read, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we ask you, Lord, as we've already prayed, that, you would ha- that our hearts would be open to you. Lord, we know that uh, you're here. We know that your spirit is here, and you will speak because your word is alive and active in and of itself, coupled with the Holy Spirit. We've already read enough for our lives to be changed. And so we ask you, God, God, to just speak into our lives today. Help us to hear you. Lord, let us not miss what it is that you want to say to us. Every word that you say has meaning and importance to everyone. So will you speak to us now? And will you help us to hear and to obey what it is that we hear, Father? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. So several years ago, I was traveling for work, and um, as I frequently did, and I was, I, I found that, you know, on airplanes is, is, practically speaking, the best place to minister to people. So, you know, I, I know it's another aviation story. I'm sorry for that, but it's just, just the way it works. But uh, I, I wasn't a pastor at the time or anything, and, uh, you know, I sat down, and of course, you always, you, you sit down and you wonder who it will be that will sit down next to you, and, and I always, you know, when I, when I traveled, um, I, I was, I've always kind of, since I got saved, I've always been somewhat of a Christian on mission. I haven't really gone backwards because I came out of the world at 24 years old, so I had a lot of catching up to do, so I really have been just all in from that time frame, you know, not, not to say that I, I'm super special or anything, but that's just how I am, and uh, so whenever I was on traveling, you know, across the world, I got to go to all, all over the world, and um, you know, I always use it as a mission trip. That's the way I saw it, because I, here's the thing, is this what you need to hear too, is that I wasn't a businessman who happened to be a Christian. I'm a Christian who happened to be a businessman, and that's always how I've looked at it. And so I, you know, I'm, I'm looking at this, this person that's going to be sitting next to me for the next two hours, and I'm thinking about beginning to think about, Lord, what, how, how am I going to speak to this person about Jesus? I always look for those 
opportunities. And, um, and so, you know, w- when the person sits down next to you, uh, you know, you, you kind of get situated, you know, you tuck yourself into your seat so that they're not spilling over and you're not spilling over and you just kind of get yourself sucked in there. And then you start some small talk with, with this person. And, and it just so happened to be that the lady that was sitting next to me on this particular flight was younger. You know, she was in her mid-60s. I find that as I get older, that, 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 that younger stage keeps growing to, to, to my favor. So, um, but, <laughs> but she was in her mid-60s, and we started a conversation. And I, I was, we were just making small talk and all of these things. And, um, and then, you know, and then the, the on the... Over the overhead speaker, loudspeaker, whatever, the flight attendant comes on and she goes, okay, hey, I got to tell you some things, you know, and, and, and so about that time, typically, because I've been on planes a gazillion times, I usually just kind of tune that out, do something else. Why? Because I'm really not a complete moron. I know how to put my seatbelt on. And trust me, if the plane's going down, I will find my way to the exit. I promise you. If I survive that, I'm out the plane. I, I, will, I will not have a problem finding it. I will help as many people as I can on the way out. You know? uh, but uh, <laughs> So I usually tune that out. And, and of course, you know, nowadays, you can, you can have your iPad out. And you can, back in the day, dude, when I did this, you, you weren't supposed to be doing anything looking forward and, and watching these people go, this is how it works. And you're like, dude, are you serious? But um, I, uh, I grabbed my Bible during that time, and I just pulled my Bible out, and I started reading my Bible and, and all of that kind of stuff. And she, the lady went through all the safety announcements and everything, and I, uh, I, after it was over, I, I feel this tap on my shoulder. And I was like, you know, I had my headphones in. I was listening to some music, reading my Bible. And I, I took my headphones out, and I was like, oh, hey. And she goes, oh, hey, um, are you a minister? And I was like, um, no, I'm, I'm just a normal Christian, just an everyday, plain old Christian that is, uh, you know, reading his Bible. I, I, I thought it was strange that she asked me that. And I thought, why is she asking me uh, if I'm a minister? And, and so, hey, I thought, hey, that's the Lord's open door for me. So I started sharing the gospel with this lady. And after, you know, we, we talked the entire flight and she asked some questions, and she was very attentive and listening and all these kinds of things. So, um, you know, we, we ended up um, landing the plane, and I, she didn't get saved right there or anything like that, but it was a seed-sowing opportunity. And so, you know, but, but what she asked me kind of came to my mind as I was studying for this text today because she said, hey, are you a minister? Now, I don't know if anybody's ever asked you that question before, but... Typically, if you don't hold a position in the church, if you don't have a title in the church, you would probably answer that question, no, because we assume that word minister means, are you a pastor, are you a leader, are you some sort of leadership or hierarchy in the church, do you hold a position? And, and, and that is absolutely not what that word means. That word literally, minister, means servant. We, we talked about it just a few weeks ago. We talked about the word diakonos, the Greek word diakonos, the word deacon, which literally means servant. And if you recall, I said, listen, we're all ministers. We're all deacons in a sense that we're all servants of Jesus Christ. I realized as I was studying through this passage today that I lied through my teeth to that lady. I am a minister of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and so are you. And so, you know, as we come to this text today, we need to understand that this isn't talking about some 
Although he is speaking to a pastor of a church, he's also speaking to you as a servant, as a minister of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, you might think like, well, how, how am I a minister? Well, did you know that you're in the priesthood of God? 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 through 10 but says that, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may claim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Amen? You are a minister of Jesus Christ. I also thought it was interesting that, and probably at the time when she, when she asked me that, I was more in tune, and I thought, I thought it was more interesting that she asked if I was a minister because I was reading my Bible. And I thought, oh, isn't that common? <laughs> Don't Christians read their Bibles? I mean, or in public or whatever. I used to consider it an honor to carry my Bible around. I carry it now, but it's in my, on my phone. But, but I, I considered it an honor to take this thing. I considered it a sword, and I would carry it around, and it would become a great opportunity to tell people why I carry my Bible. But, but I thought it was interesting. She asked me if I was a minister, not because she saw something else in my life, but she saw me reading my Bible. That also, as I was studying for this, made me think that uh, it's not so strange that somebody would ask that kind of question because there are supposed to be attributes in your life as you're living your life, things that you're doing that make the world go, are you a minister? Are you a Christian? You know, if we walk through life our entire lives and nobody asks us a question at all about if we represent Christ or if we believe in Christ or anything, we should be kind of concerned about that. We, we, we should be living in such a way that we could be accused of being a Christian. And, and as I saw this conversation with this lady through a different lens this last week, I thought, oh, wow, this fits right in with what Paul is saying because as a minister of Christ, there are specific attributes that people should be able to see in your life. And that's what we're going to look at today. I'm calling this message, The Attributes of a Good Minister. The Attributes of a Good Minister. It's a part two message. Because as I said earlier, really verses 6 through 16 go together. They're all saying, Paul is talking to Timothy about the same thing, being a good minister. He's talking about being a good minister in the church. Today we're going to consider six attributes that ought to be present in the lives of ministers in Christ in verses 6 through 11. And next week we'll, we'll consider another six or so in verses 12 through 16. The first attribute, if you're taking notes, we consider is that a good minister will be one that points out error. One that points out error. Look at verse 6. It says, if you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus. Again, Paul tells Timothy here that being a good diakonos, a good servant, a good minister, a deacon, all the same word, is found both in the, listen closely, the willingness and ability to point out doctrinal error that is taking place in the church. It, if you're a good minister of Jesus Christ, that means you have first the willingness you have a willingness to point out uh, doctrinal error, but you also have the ability to. You know what scares me about the modern church today? Most people have neither. They have neither the willingness nor do they have the ability to point out doctrinal error. And so we have tons of churches. And hey, listen, I, I'm not here to say that I, oh, my doctrine is 100% 
accurate and all this kind of stuff. Listen, it, it is to the, to, the, to the degree that I, um, I, that I know about. And if, I, if I'm missing something, it would be awesome if somebody would come talk to me about, hey, there's this doctrine you're teaching that I think maybe you have skewed a little bit. And, and I would love that. I would have that conversation. I know that you uh, don't hear that from pulpits a lot of times, but I'm a human being like you are. And, you know, I believe that I have the scriptures, uh, you know, in, in order. And I believe that I've studied them enough to know what I'm teaching. But if you see something different, I love those conversations. I won't argue with you, but, we will, but I will have a conversation with you uh, about those things. I think it's highly important that Christians have both the willingness and the ability to speak doctrinally in the church. I think we need to have that. That's The Lord called us to, he didn't just say, go tell people about Jesus. He said, teach them. He didn't just say, go share the message that you can be saved and that's all you give people. No, you give them the entire counsel of God. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to teach them, Jesus said, all that I have commanded you. The Great Commission is not the Great Commission without the teaching, without the reinforcement of discipleship behind the gospel, folks. How many of you would just leave an infant that, who, who, who just was born to fend for themselves and just go, you figured it out. <laughs> you're saved. <laughs> you figure it out now. You wouldn't do that. And yet, it is criminal what happens in the spiritual birth of people because they're left to fend for themselves. Listen, if God's put somebody on your path and they came to Christ, it's your responsibility to make sure that you continue to help them and foster that, that good understanding in their life. Now, again, we can have that conversation about evangelists and all these kinds of things, sure. But the, the, the core of the Great Commission itself is yes to teach people, to, to, to help people understand that they are saved by grace through faith alone. But it's also to teach them everything that Jesus had commanded them. That's, that was the whole idea uh, behind the Great Commission. Uh, church people need to, to be able to both have the willingness and the ability to, to warn people about different things that are going on in their lives, it, it, about the doctrine that's going on in the church. You need to be able to, to do that. It's, it's detrimental to a person if you do not. Notice the conditional clause in verse 6. It says, if. It, he says, if you, then what? If and then, conditional clause, if you do these things, then you're a good minister. What's the uh, flip side of that? If you don't, you're not. That's what he's saying. If, if you do these things, then you're a good minister. If you don't, then you're not. What, what is these things? What is he talking about. He's referring to what he just got done saying up in verse 3, where he was talking about unbiblical demon doctrines that are given by false teachers in the church. Paul already told Timothy, th this is like the fourth time now in, in four chapters that, that Paul is telling Timothy, address false doctrine, Timothy. Chapter 1, verse 3, he says, you know, don't let them continue to teach false doctrine. Don't kick them out of the church, but address it. And then he goes on in, in, in a few other places as we've been moving through this, address, address doctrine. And he tells us last week where that false doctrine comes from. It's doctrine of demons. It's, it's, it's the influence of the enemy, uh, you know, pulling the, the strings of man and causing man to come up with all these frivolous um, doctrines that are, you know, in this particular case, a Jesus plus doctrine, which is a false gospel, folks. It's not the gospel at all. It's a false gospel. Christians, uh, specifically in verse 3, Paul says Christians should, uh, the, the false teachers were saying Christians should abstain from marriage and abstain from eating certain kinds of foods. 
these false teachers were influenced by demons and were trying to uh, push a Jesus plus law gospel on the people in Ephesus, which is a false gospel. Pete, uh, Paul tells Timothy, good ministers will point out these things. They'll, they'll point them out. They'll mention them. Last week, listen, I mentioned the Hebrew roots movement. Now, uh, I hope you didn't misunderstand what I was saying. The Hebrew roots movement is a specific movement in, in our culture that is a Jesus plus gospel. It is, it's a cult. And in fact, these people have turned back towards the law and made the law, uh, you know, sort of this, uh, the, the way that they're saved, you know. I, I'm not, I wasn't referring to at all in any way, shape, or form a person who likes to read the Old Testament and consider festivals and, you know, all these typologies that lead us to Christ and, and all of that. Listen, if you do those kinds of things and you're interested in that, praise God. You know, do it. That, that's awesome. I love that. I love, I read through the Old Testament um, and I love to see the, the typologies of Christ and all of that kind of stuff. But I will tell you this, if you think you're saved by doing any of this stuff, you're, you're, you're deceived. It is not being saved by, by anything the law can do. And when Jesus came, he said, I came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law, why? Because we couldn't do it. And he did it perfectly and then he became our sacrifice. That doesn't mean that all of the law is gone. He said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it, every jot and tittle. Jesus did it all perfectly, and, and, and that's the way that we come to the Father, not through anything that we can do. So I mentioned that specifically, the Hebrew Roots movement last week, because I see that happening in, in Christian culture today. I see people returning backwards, going to the law and all these kinds of things, thinking that that's what's going to save them, and it will not save you. There's not a single thing that you can do to contribute to your salvation. Now, um, Paul says you need to provide instruction, Timothy. You need to convict people. You need to have a boldness to confront those false teachings in your church. And, and, and I would say that in this day and age, too many people are worried about offending people that, that they let errors slide. They let, they let people think what they want to think. As a minister of the truth, we must stand for the truth. And, and, and Paul was instructing Timothy to do this, but when, he, when he's talking about it, the idea is to do it in a gentle, humble way, but with boldness, but with boldness. You need to confront it. As ministers, uh, we need to make sure that we're not, we're, we're, we're not afraid of man so much that we're not going to stand for God. And I'll tell you what, in a very polar, polarized culture that we live in, um, this is becoming more and more of an issue, you know, of which side do I stand on as the lines continue to get way, way clearer um, in, in, in the recent years about what, what people really think and, and what doctrine's okay and what not okay. Now we have to ask ourselves, what am I going to do about that? Am I going to take a side? Listen, do not take a side. Stand for the truth. Do not take a side. We're not on people's side. We're on God's side. Thankfully, God's on our side. But we need to be able to stand for the truth. And, and listen, you may end up losing friends or even family members because you're saying, listen, this is, this is wrong. Don't do it because of the, don't, don't lose your family members or your friends because of the way that you handle that, but the way that you deal with the truth but listen, if it happens as a result of the truth, then so be it. 
Because Jesus said, if you love your father and mother more than me, then you're not worthy of me. He, listen, if there are things that are, 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 are causing people to believe in, in, a, in a doctrine that is leading them to hell, it, it's only loving to tell them the truth. And they may not like that, and you need to understand that. But Jesus said, listen, not everybody's going to like you. And, and for some of us, that's a huge problem because we fear man so much that we don't want anybody to not like us. Hey, listen, I know that. I, I was like that for a long time. I don't, I don't like confrontation. And I also don't like I, like, I like people liking me. I like to go into a place and go, oh, man. Hey, there's Tim Romero. He's a good guy. Yay, Tim. Yay. You know, not, not, not in worship now. But I do like people to think good of me, but not at the sake of the truth. I think there comes a point in your life, man, where you have to stand up and you have to, um, you have to be willing to offend, not to just offend people, but because eternity is at stake. That's why. That's why we do it. Paul says a good minister is one that is willing to point out errors in the church. Not that one that looks for errors to point out, by the way, but one that is willing and has the ability to point out errors. Secondly, a good minister will be trained in the word of God. Look at the rest of verse 6. Being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Our ability to point out falsehood and lies and demonically influenced doctrines is by personal, personally knowing the word of God. It's interesting the way that these attributes are set up as Paul. It's as if Paul is walking up steps and every one of them leads to the next one. He says, you, listen, you, you can't point out errors in the church if you don't know the word of God. So he said, okay, you, here's, here's stair number two. You need to have, be trained in the, word, the words of the faith and of the doctrine that you have followed. This is a reference to the word of God. This is a reference to all of the apostles' doctrine, all that they taught during that time. A good minister must be trained in these things. That word trained is a compound word in the Greek, entherpho, and means in, so in, and then therpho means to nourish. Literally, Paul is telling Timothy it's crucial that he be nourished in the words of faith and the good doctrine. That, that Timothy understand these things. And notice, it, it's, it's the, the idea is being trained. It's not been trained. Some of us think, like, I've read the Bible. I'm good. I mean, I've read it cover to cover once, and, and I'm good. You're not. You need to be in trained. Being trained. It's a continual process. Listen, if you think you've arrived spiritually, you are not listening to the Word of God. You need, <laughs> you need to look at this thing and measure your life up against this, not your neighbor. Because the reality is that we will constantly be, be re refined our entire life. Our entire life. And man, I'm thankful that God makes me better, you know, as I continue to submit myself to Him. But I will never be perfect until He calls me home. And so, and what's interesting about being trained in the Word of God is that... Uh, you, you, you find that if you are do off doctrinally, as you continue to read the word cover to cover over and over and over again, you glean different things and then your doctrine becomes clear and you're like, wait a second, I thought I understood this, but I was totally wrong. And I, I mean, I know countless pastors 
who have studied the Bible for 30, 40 years, who come to different conclusions on doctrines that they've taught one way, and then they're like, wait a second, I didn't have clear understanding. Um, you know, we, we see through a glass dimly right now. And so, you know, we just need to keep looking in the Word of God and, allow, uh, and measuring ourselves up against the Word of God and allowing it to cultivate, to train us to become like Jesus. That's the goal. Um, you know, the, the idea of, of, of being trained. A good, a, good, uh, a good minister knows what it takes to be trained he understands the nourishment that's required as you're training in order to become stronger and to become better. The Word of God is the bread that we feast upon. It's what, what nourishes our spirit. Now, any of you guys that know anything about fitness understand that um, you know, your, your physical body, if you're in training, the one thing that is going to make you better is your diet. Right? You, you, you start to eat the right things. You become nourished in the right ways. You, you grow bigger. You grow stronger. You grow healthier. You grow more energetic. You cannot live off yesterday's meal if you're training to become peak physical fitness. You, you have to have today's manna. You can't, you can't say like, oh, well, I had a good high-protein breakfast yesterday, so I'm good. No, that doesn't work. And yet that's how people live their spiritual lives. You need the nourishment of the a spiritual food, which is the word of God on a daily basis to strengthen your inner man. Because the physical man is warring against your spirit every day. It does not stop. And you need to nourish yourself uh, spiritually so that you can become stronger, bigger. You can grow healthier and more energetic. We need the daily bread of the Word of God. But I promise you, it's low-carb, gluten-free. You have no worries as it relates to that. But <laughs> no calories either. Yeah, that's right. We will never become who we're supposed to be, nor will we ever be able to contend with falsehoods unless we are constantly in a state of training in the Word of God. If we do that, then we will never have to worry about what Paul says next here in verse 7. He says, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. The third attribute of a good minister is the ability uh, through knowing the truth to reject worthless falsehood and speculation. You might recall, and Paul already pointed out this in chapter 1, in verse Tim 1 Timothy 1, 3-4, he said, As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. In chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, have nothing to do with these things. Literally, put these things away. Reject these things, these falsehoods, these things that lead to speculation. 2 Timothy 2.23 says, Have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant conversations. You know what they, what they breed. You know they breed quarrels. Uh, quarrels. And Titus 3.10 says, As for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing to do with them. Literally, to reject, to put away these things. Paul says, literally, put away irreverent, silly myths. Receiving or even considering these kinds of things will lead you astray. You ever done that to yourself? 
You ever sabotaged yourself before? Where you start pondering on something that really doesn't have an answer? You know, and so you're like, did Adam really have a navel? Hmm. Because Adam was created, he wasn't, didn't come through the woman, so did he have an umbilical cord? Did he have a navel? I'm not sure. Does that even matter, to be honest with you? <laughs> and so you can sit in a room and light a candle and you can think about these deep things, right? But where are they leading you? Nowhere. That's the point. That's the point. Don't allow yourself to get, get into these, these kind of, this thought pattern of, of these things that will lead you nowhere. Um, and, and, and that is what Paul is telling Timothy. Don't have nothing to do with these kinds of things. Again, back to the spiritual diet analogy. Um, you know, if you, don't, if you allow yourself to eat garbage, then you can expect your body to look like garbage, period. I don't care how many crunches you do every day. I don't care how many push-ups you do. I don't care how often you frequent the gym. How do I know this? By personal experience. So, you know, I don't care how you do all of that stuff. You can do all that stuff every day for an hour a day or two hours a day or six hours a day. If you do not control your diet, you will not get in shape, period. I don't care what you do. Listen, I, 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 I lived in the world of physical fitness. That was my job. I, I not my, I, you're like, really? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> That was my job. I, I made supplements for bodybuilders. Uh, you know, I made supplements for dudes that went from twigs to super hulks, you know. And, and I, here's the thing is, plus steroids, I know. Steroids in and of itself cannot do that. It takes an incredible, incredible amount of hard work. It takes an incredible amount of discipline and diet to get your body to look like that. Do you know that? That is a full-time job for people. They, they take their physiques and they, con they consider them to be the most important and they do not put junk in their body. A world-class athlete, you know what separates a world-class athlete from another world-class athlete? Their diet. Their diet, you're talking about fractions of a second difference between one runner to another or one biker to another or, you know, one, one athlete to another. And the thing that separates them is their discipline and their diet. Yes, natural ability, but ultimately it does come down to your diet at some point. It is the most important thing. If you allow yourself, if you allow unwholesome things in your body, you will sabotage yourself. The spiritual diet is the same. You shouldn't be entertaining falsehoods. Shouldn't be entertaining speculation and all these silly things. There's all kinds of crazy things. I can't even, I was thinking, about well, maybe I should bring up some examples. I said, no, I don't want to taint these people's minds with the kind of ridiculous stuff that's out there. It's ridiculous. Some of the things that people do and they've, they've put themselves to do not belong in churches, folks. Period. But, but the reality is, is you don't need you need to just be, um, be, be, be focused and have your diet be the word of God and that's it. You don't need other influences swaying you. You don't need that. We have to reject anything that is irreverent. That word means profane in a worldly sense, godless. You can't afford worldly or godless things to enter your hearts and your minds, i.e., get rid of your TV get rid of the internet because that's what happens. And I know a lot of good things can happen through there, but, but isn't, it easy? isn't it easy for all of the filth to come through those things too? 
Whatever, whatever you do, guard yourself. Guard yourself with these things because there is so much godless, worldly stuff coming through uh, the, um, the internet and through our TVs. I think we struggle enough. We don't need to add to it, right? In and of ourselves. We don't need to waste our time with these kinds of things. Do not sabotage yourself. Stick to the Word of God. Make the Word of God your diet, and it'll put you in tip-top shape. Fourthly, a good minister will discipline himself unto godliness. Again, verse 7 there, rather train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godless, um, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The sane is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Where do you suppose the ability to minister comes from in the life of a believer? Where, where does the, the ability to do the things that ministers do, that, that you do in other people's lives, and how does that all work? Where, where, do you, where does your ability come from? Is it, you know, supernaturally um, given to you by osmosis? Or, like, how do you become a person that is usable, and, and how do you, you know, what, what's involved in all of that? It, Paul tells us right here, it comes by training. It comes by training. Um, you, that word train in the Greek is where we get our, our English word gymnasium. The idea is you're going to a spiritual gym, you're training, you're working out, you're preparing for something. As the famous theologian and eight-time Mr. Olympia champion, Ronnie Coleman said, he said, everyone wants to be a bodybuilder, but nobody wants to lift no heavy weights. And that is the truth. It's impossible for you to become a spiritual giant without putting in the work, Christian. Listen, if you want to live in mediocre land, just keep doing what you're doing. Some of you. Just keep doing what you're doing and, and you know, you don't change anything and, and you'll be exactly the way you are. You're not going to change. But if you decide to put in the work, if you decide to, to get on a training regimen, you will start to see changes in your life. You, you, you put yourself on a spiritual regimen of, of the word of God for your diet and prayer and fellowship with brothers and sisters, sharing your faith, serving the Lord, giving to the Lord, all of these basic things in Christianity. You start to do these things, you're going to start to see your life change. You're going to start to see yourself become more fit. You're going to start to see yourself, you know, um, uh, be, have more endurance. You're going to see yourself enjoying the Lord a whole lot more. Why? Because you're training for it. You're not just expecting it to happen. How do you think the Apostle Paul came the Apostle Paul? How do you think Charles Spurgeon became Charles Spurgeon? How do you think Billy Graham became Billy Graham? It didn't just happen on accident. They didn't, you know, you're not going to just accidentally wake up with abs, right? That ain't going to happen. You got to train yourself. You have to put yourself in, in a discipline, in a regiment, in a training mode in order to do that. You will never have big spiritual muscles if you don't lift spiritual weights. Thus, your ability to minister then will come from whatever level of discipline that you've committed in your own personal life. Wow. Your ability to be used by God will, will come to, to, the, to the same level of whatever effort you're putting into your spiritual training. In other words, you don't take a kid that's playing t-ball and say, here, come here, let me go, let's go over to the 90 mile an hour batting cages and see how you do. God will never do that to you. You know that? 
God loves you way too much to put you in a position to make you, um, you know, fall on your face like that. He will let you fall on your face, I promise you, but it will be right where you're at. He's not going to purposely take you into the big leagues when you belong in the little league. You know, you ever notice that about God? Um, he doesn't, as the cliche saying goes, give you more than you can handle. He always gives you more than you can handle, but he always meets you with a spiritual ability. Where does that spiritual ability come from? It comes from your personal life, your personal discipline. It comes from your, you know, in other words, you, you're not going to just, uh, if you've never read something in the Bible, the Holy Spirit's not just going to give you words to say. It comes from the overflowing of your personal relationship with the Lord. As you dedicate yourself to the, to, the, to the scriptures and to these kinds of things, the Lord uses all of that. He wants you to be disciplined in your walk with him. That's why so many lack power in their lives because there's no spiritual discipline. We keep saying, God, give me power. Give me power. Give me more of your spirit, God. Give me more of that because you haven't given me enough, but you're not doing what, what you should be doing with what he's given you already, but you're telling him to give you more. That's not the way it works. He says, you know, I'll give you what you need in the moment, and as you're faithful with that, I will give you more. But you got to be faithful with what you've been given first. You have all the Holy Spirit you need. You have all, everything that you need. The Bible says God has given you everything you need for life and godliness. There's nothing lacking from God's side. God has said, here you go. You know, um, he's all in with you. The question is, are you all in with him? J. Oswald Sanders said in his book, Spiritual Leadership, spiritual ends can be achieved only by spiritual men who employ spiritual methods. Spiritual ends can be achieved only by spiritual men who employ spiritual methods. You can hear what I'm saying. You can, you can hear me saying, you got to work, you got to work, you got to work, you got to work. And that's not really what I'm saying. You got to be devoted to Jesus is what you need to do. It's not about, you know, about, you know, just working because there's, there's plenty of people that try and work their way up to a level of godliness. You don't get godly by working your way up to it. You get it through allowing the God to change you as you set yourself before him. You, you see what I'm saying? I mean, it, it, it is about commitment. It is about discipline. It is about, you know, certain uh, level of, of very basic things. And the more you allow the Lord into your life, the more he begins to change you. It's a spiritual thing that happens. But that spiritual thing can't happen unless you have the discipline in your life to allow God to do what he does. You know, he, he's a gentleman. And, you know, as much as he would like us to all be like Jesus today, and he could make us like that, like that, because he's God. But why doesn't he? Because there's a participation on your end. There's, there's you setting yourself before God and saying, I, I want this in my life. I want to be more like Jesus. I want you to do these things in my life. These, and, and he will do those things. Spiritual ends can be achieved only by spiritual men who employ spiritual methods. The minister is only as effective as he is disciplined. All ministers in Christ must train themselves in godliness. That word there literally means piety, reverence, loyalty. How many of you guys work out on a regular basis? You run or you lift weights or, you know, you, you do something and you, you do these kind of things. You know, a, a couple of you, that's awesome. So, um, 
I guess it's not going to be as impactful as I thought, but <laughs> if you were to work out. No. So, so why, do you, why do you do these things? Why do you do these things? Why do you work out? Tell me. We're Pentecostal. Go ahead. No, we're not, but go ahead. Why do you do it? To lose weight, to be healthy. You do it because you know that it's something good for you, right? How many of you guys just love the heck out of it? You're just like, I cannot wait. I can't wait to get in the gym. A couple of you guys do. And, and you know, there's something wrong with you. I'm sorry. But <laughs> you, you'll see me after the service, I'm sure. <laughs> and like, I'll be like, wait, wait, I was kidding. But uh, um, most of us work out because we know it's good. We know that it will yield the results that we want, but we don't necessarily like to do it. I mean, I hate to run. I hate to run, but I run all the time. I run a 5K, a 5K almost every day, you know, and, and I hate it, but I do it. Why? Because it's good for me. Because I understand the value of it. You know, um, I love lifting weights and these kinds of things, and I love doing all these kind of things, um, but, but if I didn't have to do them, I would not do them. It's not something that I, that I enjoy doing, and, and yet when I do do it, sometimes, you know, particularly in certain aspects of physical re regime that I'm in, I really do enjoy it. There's certain aspects of it that I just love, you know, and I promise you that, that it, it, I don't want to make this sound like that, but just to get started, sometimes you got to do things that you don't necessarily like to do or want to do to see the value in them. And then when you start to see the value in them, it, it, it's, it's, it's that, that discipline that makes you see like, oh, I want to do that more because look, look what's happening to me. I, I'm starting to transform. And, and that's, Paul is saying that we need, to, we need to train ourselves in godliness in that way. We need to be committed to it. It's not fun. It's not fun to constantly uh, show yourself your faults, is it? It's not fun to stand before the Lord and say, man, these are all the flaws that I have in my life, Lord, and all these kind of things, but it is incredibly beneficial. It is incredibly beneficial for you to do that because what it will do then is help you understand where your weaknesses are and where you need to focus so that the Lord can do the, the, the transforming work in your life that you need. You know, if you don't ever sit down and, and, and allow yourself to experience a little bit of heart, a little bit of agony in your life, you're never going to fully understand what, wh who you are and who the Lord can make you. You have, to, you have to get before the Lord and allow His Holy Spirit to speak into your life and to show you, hey, these are some areas you're not godly. Maybe the jokes that you laugh at or, or maybe the way that you're doing certain things or whatever, and the Lord is faithful to tell us these things. But you need to train yourself in godliness and say, Lord, I, I care about what you think. I care about representing you well, so I want to train myself in these ways. And as you do that, the Lord will give you more responsibilities. He said in Luke chapter 12, verse 48, everyone to whom much was given, of him much will be required, and of him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. The Lord gives you more. He'll, 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 he gives you something. He requires something. Then he gives you more, but then he requires more. That's the way it works. You can't just hit the spiritual height of Charles Spurgeon or Billy Graham or, or Paul or whoever it is that, you know, you look at and, and then expect that the Lord has no expectations for you. He has big expectations for you. 
The more we grow in the Lord, the more his expectations for us grow. He wants us to be used by him. He wants to be, use us, man. A good minister is somebody who will discipline themselves unto godliness. You'll be shaped and changed and transformed. Not only that, but a good minister will work hard and hope big. Look at verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Following Christ and being his minister involves hard work. It's hard work to do it. Paul said, to this end we toil toiling that's hard work uh, to this end we strive that word is an interesting word it means to agonize we're working super hard and we're agonizing over what what, what are we agonizing over godliness that's what he's talking about we, for to this end what end godliness is the end that's the desire we're, we're we're working towards the goal we are toiling and we are striving towards godliness it's hard work it requires some level of agony to become godly folks because you know what it requires denying self dying to self i don't know about you but man i found that dying to myself is incredibly hard anybody else with me on that it's incredibly hard to die to yourself there is much agony involved in that because our flesh has desires our flesh our flesh wants certain things and we have to continually suppress the flesh and allow the spirit of god to to rise up and i also find that it's easy to fail in denying my flesh it's easy to fail in and, and but here's the kicker i can't let and somebody needs to hear this can't let yesterday's failure become today's failure I failed yesterday, so I'm just going to fail today. Listen, when I start my diet, I might fail at it a couple times. But I just got to know, oh, man, I blew it today on my diet. Tomorrow's the day. I start, I'm going to start again, and I'm going to do it again. And I will just keep working at it and working at it. Every time I trip up and fall, you dust yourself up off, and you get back in the grind. You don't give up. You don't go, oh, just, it's just not worth it. It is worth it. It is worth it. Don't give yourself that kind of an out. Don't let yourself, don't, don't make excuses for yourself. You failed, stand up, repent, move forward. That's what we do. That's, that's all God wants you to do. He, he wants you, well, he, he does want you to do the right thing, but when you do stumble and fall, he does just want you to stand up, repent, and move forward. I mean, Jesus was, is incredibly gracious. You see, with, with the woman, the, the adulterous woman before him that comes before him and she's ha, ha, probably mostly naked sitting there before her being caught in the act of adultery and jesus doesn't start condemning her he just says your sins are forgiven now go and sin no more he, that's the same word for you you know what your sins are forgiven when you come in repentance to christ your sins are forgiven jesus just says now go and sin no more and and if you fail do the same thing over again his forgiveness is unending but but we we, we do need to just you know get ourselves up dust ourselves off and move forward we can't grow weary in godliness and trying to become more like Jesus. I think um, some grow weary in the pursuit of God godliness because it's hard work. It is hard. J. Oswald Sanders, again, in the same book, Spiritual Leadership, he said, if he is unwilling to pay the price for, of fatigue for his leadership, 
it will always be mediocre. If you're, un, if you're unwilling to pay the, the high price of fatigue in your leadership or your ministry or whatever it is, then it will always be mediocre. True leadership always exacts a heavy toll on the whole man. And the more effective the leadership is, the higher price to be paid. Oof. You mean it doesn't get easier? Listen, it's always hard. It's always hard. I wouldn't say it's harder as you get bigger. I wouldn't say it's less hard. I would say that it's equally hard. It's hard. Jesus said the road is narrow and it is difficult. Now, I think that it's just, it's just a difficult path that leads to life in general. I don't think it ever just, you know, becoming more like Jesus doesn't ever get just super easy. It's always hard because there's always that having to put yourself to the side and die to yourself, die to the, to, to the denial, deny the flesh. It never gets easy, but it's doable. It's doable. He has given you the Holy Spirit, folks. He has given you all the endurance you need. The moment you feel like you're shot, the moment you feel like you've got nothing more to give, God will give you what you need in the moment to move forward. He will never leave you empty. He won't, he won't leave you as you're striving to, you're toiling and striving to become more godly. He's not going to leave you um, to fall on your face. He will meet you where you are. He will meet you where you are. The, the problem is some of us don't want to put the effort into it. And so the Lord meets you where you are. And you don't understand that. Why isn't he doing more? Because you're not doing more. It's a partnership. Get in, the, get in the gym spiritually. Start to give yourself over to the Lord and see what he does. Listen, godliness requires focus and discipline. It's hard work, but we also need hope. We also need hope. Paul goes on here. Notice he says, we work hard to this end because, here's the reason, because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people. Hope is our fuel. When our hope is high, our work ethic is great unto godliness. But when our hope fades, our work ethic slips, doesn't it? And our pursuit of godliness becomes, uh, you know, less and less. The more we set our sights on the living God who died and rose again from the dead, who saved the entire world through his sacrifice, the harder we go after the prize, folks, uh, the, the more hope we have, the more we fix our eyes on Jesus, the more hope we will have in our lives because he overcame and anybody in him can overcome. The problem is when we get our eyes on the waves and get our eyes off of the Lord. That's what happened to Peter. Remember when he was walking on the water and the Lord said, Peter, come out here and, and he kept his eyes on Jesus and he walked out on the, on the water and as soon as he took his eyes off Jesus, he sank into the water. You keep your eyes on Jesus, it will continue to build hope in your heart and it will keep you motivated and it will keep you moving forward. Notice he goes on here and he says this hope, he says that we, we set our hope on the living God who is the savior of all people and then he goes on to say especially those who believe. Wait, wait what does he mean? He's the savior of all people but especially those who believe. What, what is he talking about? What he is saying that is that Jesus Christ, 
unlike some of the people who teach these doctrines that say Jesus only came for the elect, he only, he only died for the elect, he did not die for, the Bible says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the whole world, 1 John says. You know, so he, he did die for the entirety of the world, but it's only those who believe will, will, will fully um, see the effects of that death and resurrection in their life. He's not in any way, shape, or saying, uh, you know, some people take this, this scripture and they say, oh, well, this has all roads to lead to heaven because Jesus died for everybody. Jesus did die for everybody, but only those who truly accept Christ, only those who keep their eyes on Jesus, who live for Jesus, who have given their lives over to Jesus, will see the, the effects of his death and his resurrection. I like how David Guzik said it. He said, Jesus' work is adequate to save all, but only effective in saving those who come to him by faith. That's what Paul's saying. You might recall it, it was David and, and Goliath. Remember that? The Philistines came against the Israelites and everybody was afraid. <laughs> Nobody wanted to stand out. And, and so the Philistines said, hey, we'll just send out one of our guys. He's a big guy. He's a giant. We'll just send him out, and you guys send one of your guys out. We'll just settle this this way, okay? And everybody in the army of the Israelites were like, I ain't going out there. There's no way. I'm, hey, why don't you? I'm not doing it. Are you crazy? You do it. And they're trying to find somebody to do it. Nobody will do it. And then you have David come along, do, 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 just delivering some cheese and some bread to my brothers. No big deal. My dad sent me over here. I'm a shepherd boy. A boy. I'm a shepherd boy. And I come doodle along here, and I'm like, he hears the Philistine popping off, and he's, he's like, is somebody going to do something about that? Or, I mean, seriously, this guy's popping up against the living God. Is somebody going to do something about this? And everybody's quaking in their boots. So David says, I've had, I've had, a, I've had about enough of this dude. I'm not going to sit here and allow him to speak against the living God. And so David says, listen, I'll, I'll stand before, I'll, I'll take on this dude. You, you want to talk about hope. This is the kind of hope that you can have in your life. If you truly understand who God is and what he's doing in your life, David didn't walk out on the battlefield because he thought he had something to offer in that moment. He knew the God that he served. And he trusted in the God that he served. He had so much hope in his heart when he walked out on the battlefield that David, David said, I'm not worried. I'm not worried. He, he said, you know, who are you to defy the living God, Goliath? I serve the living God. And so David picks up five stones, sticks them in his and you're thinking, why did he pick up five stones? You know why he picked up five stones? Not because he thought he was going to miss. Not because he thought he needed more. Uh, because, you know, he, he picked up five stones because he had one for Goliath and four for his brothers. That's why he picked up five stones. He was totally dependent on God. He said, I'm going to put these five stones in my, my, my pocket so that Goliath and then his four brothers, if they come after me, I'm ready to roll. I will not miss. Why? Because I serve the living God. Listen, I don't know about you, but that, that excites me and that helps me understand that the path that I'm on as a minister in Christ today is not a dead-end path. 
It's a path that leads to hope. Some, some of us need to have that breath of hope blown up into us. We look around in our culture today and we see all the things going on. We see the division. We see the, this election that who knows what's going to happen. We're in the unknown world. Listen, we serve the living God. We're not in the unknown. I mean, we, we're in the unknown, but he's not. And so we just trust the Lord. We keep moving forward. We have a mission. Our mission is to take the gospel into the world. That's what we should be concerned about. That's what we should be focused on. Not about COVID, you know, not about all these other things in the world that are, that are you know, the enemy's using to distract people to be who they're called to be. We have the hope of the living God inside of us. And some of us need to be reminded, just like David when he walked on that battlefield, that's you. You also can do the same thing. I don't want to read you into the story. What I'm saying is, is the reason he did that was the same reason you can do that because we have the same God. We have the same living hope. So I want to encourage you this morning. Listen, I don't know what all you've gone through, but what all you're going through, but you can be like David. You can stand and, and have the, all the hope in the world because you have God is on your side. Paul leaves with this thought, verse 11, command and teach these things. A good minister, the last thing I want to talk about, a good minister will exercise biblical authority. Paul tells Timothy to exercise biblical authority by commanding and teaching these things. What things is he talking about? The things he just said. To all these things that he just said, he wants you to teach them. Now, I don't have a ton of time, but I want you to understand this. That exercising um, biblical, uh, biblical authority is biblical. Exercising biblical authority is biblical. And what, what's happened in our culture is there's a rebellion against authority. And it's, it's really against God's authority, to be honest. And so anytime anybody says anything to anyone about anything, people say, who are you to tell me what to do? There's a structure that God has put in place. And every believer has the biblical authority to exercise, you know, in, in the lives of those who call themselves Christians. You know, and, and, and those who are in the church, there's a certain biblical authority that God has given them. Paul is telling Timothy, don't go in there and try and make friends with people. Command them and teach them what I said. Like you say, listen, this is what the Bible says, and this is what we're doing here. If you don't like it, get out, essentially. At the end of the day, you command people to do what the Lord says. Now, exercising biblical authority is not just, uh, it's not authoritarianism. And that's what you need to understand. It's not just exercising authority, but it's biblical authority. In other words, all you're doing is reinforcing what God has said. You're saying, hey, the Bible says this. This is what you're supposed to do. I, I love when people come into my office and they say, hey, you know, I got this going on and, and this going on. Okay, well, you know, and, and this person's doing this. Well, have you talked to them? Nope. See ya. Go talk to them. Don't, don't come in here and tell me your problem with somebody else. You go talk to them. You, that's what the Bible says. That's exercising biblical authority. That's not my pastoral role. That's a Christian's role. That's all of our role, to exercise biblical authority. When God says it, we take it and we command it. We say, listen, this is the standard. This is the standard. Not what I think or what you think, but this is the standard. This is what we exercise. That's exercising biblical authority. Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, it's time to stop worrying about people and about how they're going to don't be timid. Tim, Timothy has a problem exercising biblical authority. And Paul's encouraging him, Timothy, you need to take the things that I'm, that I'm commanding you because the Lord's commanded us. 
I'm commanding you. Now you command the people in, the, in this church to stick to biblical authority, to, to, to stick to the Bible, to stick to the scriptures, to do what the Bible says. We can't afford to allow doctrines coming into the church that are going to affect the entirety of the people. Don't, don't do that. Exercise and teach these things. I, I have a lot more to say about that, but I, I don't have time tonight, but today. But I want to end with this. Listen, a good minister, we learned, will point out error. He will be trained in the word of God. He will reject falsehood and speculation. He will discipline himself unto godliness. He will work hard and hope big, and he will exercise biblical authority. We're going to continue this conversation next week, but let me ask you, how are you doing as a minister of Christ in relation to these attributes? Can you see them in your own life? Can you see the Lord doing this work in your life? And if not, today's the day to say, hey, dust myself off. I'm moving forward. Lord, I want these attributes to be in my life. I want to be able to, I want to have the willingness and the ability to point out error in, 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 in my life, in my brother's life, not for the sake of doing it, but because it's biblical, because I, I want to help people, because I love people. I want people to understand that, you know, their doctrine matters. So, so measure yourself against the word of God. Examine your heart. Ask the Lord and see what he won't do. Amen? Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And Lord, for just all the attributes that we see today. And I ask you, Father, to help us to measure ourselves up against these things. Lord, that you help us to uh, not only just maybe see if, if we're, how well we're doing or if we're failing at these things or whatever, Lord, but to do something about it, to take an action based on our examination. We know, Lord, that you speak into our hearts, you convict our hearts for the purpose of change. You desire for us to be different people. You desire for us to become more and more like Jesus. And we, we know that that's a process, and we're in the middle of that process. So this morning, Lord, as we've considered the words that you've spoken here today, Lord, in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 11, Help us, Lord, to, to just listen to your Holy Spirit and to make the changes necessary in our lives. Father, I want to pray for anyone this morning that doesn't know you, that isn't in right relationship with you, that you help them to come to a place of repentance this morning. Your word tells us that, as we even talked about, that you came and died. You're the Savior of the world, Jesus. You died for us all, and you want to be in right relationship with every person, but we have to come to you. We have to bow our knee to you. And so for anyone who is in that place of, of not having the full assurance that they would go to heaven if they died today, Lord, will you, by the power of your spirit right now, draw their heart? Will you help them to see that it's about turning over their life to you now, Lord? You, you say if we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and that we believe that he, he rose again from the dead, we'll be saved. <laughs> so we ask you this morning, Lord, if there's anyone here that needs to be in right relationship, that you draw their hearts, even now, you help them to come forward today and to pray with one of these people up in front to receive Christ, Lord. I thank you for who you are, Lord. I ask you to baptize us in your spirit, strengthen us to be the spiritual fit people that you're calling us to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you stand with us? 
Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.